Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the Thursday, December 21st episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. A lot of great listening over there. Excuse me. Over 60 well-curated podcasts, wide, wide variety of topic areas, all covered from a biblical worldview. My brothers and sisters in Christ over there doing some great work for the kingdom. Again, I would encourage you to go on over there. Uh, I will guarantee you that you're going to find find something over there to listen to, and there's a real good chance you're going to find more over there to listen to than you actually have time to listen to it in. All right, well, we're continuing on through our week, just doing our Bible reading, and I'm doing a little bit of speaking on the hum- humbleness of the Christ child, and I've talked to you about how critical I think this is and how... how how God is truly glorified in this humbleness. So let's go ahead and let's jump right in. Uh, we're going to open up with the fifth day morning prayer. It's called the giver. Let's pray. Creator, upholder, and proprietor of all things. We cannot escape from thy presence and control, nor do we desire to do so. Our privilege is to be under the agency of thy omnipotence, righteousness, wisdom, patience, mercy, and grace. For thou art love with more than parental affection. We admire thy goodness, stand in awe of thy power, abase ourselves before thy purity. It is this discovery of thy goodness alone that can banish our fear. Allure us into thy presence, help us to bewail and confess our sins. We review our past guilt and are conscious of present unworthiness. We bless thee that thy steadfast love and attributes are essential to our happiness and hope. Thou hast witnessed to us thy grace and mercy in the bounties of nature, in the fullness of thy providence, in the revelations of Scripture, in the gift of thy Son, in the proclamation of the gospel. Make us willing to be saved in thy own way, perceiving nothing in ourselves but all in Jesus. Help us not only to receive him, but to walk in him, depend upon him, commune with him, follow him as dear children, imperfect but still pressing forward, not complaining of labor, but valuing rest, not murmuring under trials, but thankful for our state. And by so doing, let us silence the ignorance of foolish men. Amen. All right. In our devotion for this morning, uh, the text is from Second Samuel 23, 5. Yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant. This covenant is divine in its origin. He hath made with me an everlasting covenant. Oh, that great word, he. Stop my soul. God, the everlasting Father, has positively made a covenant with thee. Yes, that God who spake the world into existence by a word. He, stooping from his majesty, takes hold of thy hand and makes a covenant with thee. Is it not a deed, the stupendous condescension of which might ravish our hearts forever, if we could really understand it? He hath made with me a covenant. A king has not made a covenant with me. 
that were somewhat, but the prince of the kings of the earth, Shaddai, the Lord all-sufficient, the Jehovah of ages, the everlasting Elohim, he hath made with me an everlasting covenant. But notice, it is particular in its application. Yet hath he made with me an everlasting covenant. Here lies the sweetness of it to each believer. It is not for me that he made peace for the world. I want to know I want to know whether he made peace for me. It is little that he hath made a covenant. I want to know whether he has made a covenant with me. Blessed is the assurance that he hath made a covenant with me. If God the Holy Ghost gives me assurance of this, then his salvation is mine, his heart is mine, he himself is mine, he is my God. This covenant is everlasting in its duration. An everlasting covenant means a covenant which had no beginning and which shall never, never end. How sweet amidst all the uncertainties of life to know that the foundation of the Lord standeth sure, and to have God's own promise, my covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that is gone out of my lips. Like dying David, I will sing of this, even though my house be not so with God, as my heart desireth. All right. <clears throat> I need some water here. Hang on a second. <clears throat> All right, that's better. Okay, well, our reading for today, I think it's going to be a little short, but I may be wrong. Some of these readings may be a little long. Uh, we're going to do Zechariah 1, um, which is actually the totality of Zechariah. It's only one chapter. Um, Revelation 12, Psalm 140, and Proverbs 30, verse 17. Oh, I'm sorry, Zechariah is not just a single chapter. I wrote something wrong. Anyways, it's Zechariah 1. It's first chapter of Zechariah. So, again, Zechariah 1. Hear the word of the Lord. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of Yahweh came to Ze Zechariah the prophet, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, saying, Yahweh was very wrathful against your fathers. Therefore say to them, Thus says Yahweh of hosts. Return to me, declares Yahweh of hosts, that I may return to you, says Yahweh of hosts. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets called out, saying, Thus says Yahweh of hosts. Return now from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not listen or give heed to me, declares Yahweh. Your fathers, were, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But did not my words and my statutes, which I commanded my slaves, the prophets, overtake your fathers? Then they returned and said, As Yahweh of hosts purposed to do to us in accordance with our ways and our deeds, so he has done with us. On the twenty-fourth day of the eleventh month, which is the month Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of Yahweh came to Zechariah the prophet, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, saying, I saw at night, and behold, a man was riding on a red horse, and he was standing among the myrtle trees which were in the ravine, with red, sorrel, and white horses behind him. Then I said, My Lord, what are these? And the angel who was speaking with me said to me, I will show you what they are, what these are, excuse me. And the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are those whom Yahweh has sent to patrol the earth. So they answered the angel of Yahweh who was standing among the myrtle trees and said, We have patrolled the earth, and behold, all the earth is sitting still and quiet. Then the angel of Yahweh answered and said, O Yahweh of hosts, how long will you have no compassion for Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, with which you have been indignant these seventy years? Yahweh answered the angel who was speaking with me with good words, 
comforting words. So the angel who was speaking with me said to me, Call out, saying, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and Zion, but I am very wrathful with the nations who are at ease, for I was only a little wrathful, but they helped increase the calamity. Therefore thus says Yahweh, I will return to Jerusalem with compassion. My house will be built in it, declares Yahweh of hosts, and a measuring line will be stretched over Jerusalem. Again call out, saying, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, My cities will again overflow with good, and Yahweh will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. Then I lifted up my eyes and saw, and behold, there were four horns. So I said to the angel who was speaking with me, What are these? And he said to me, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then Yahweh showed me four craftsmen, and I said, What are these coming to do? And he said, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, so that no man lifts up his head. But these craftsmen have come to cause them to tremble, to throw down the horns of the nations who have lifted up their horns against the land of Judah in order to scatter it. All right. Revelation 12. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven, and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth he might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness, where she had a place prepared by God, so that there she would be nourished for twelve hundred and sixty days. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb, and because of the word of their witness, and they did not love their life even to death. For this reason rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman, so that she would fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time, and times, and half a time, from the presence of the serpent. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman, so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. <clears throat> but the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. So the dragon was enraged with the woman, and went off to make war with the rest of her seed, who keep the commandments of God, and have the witness of Jesus. Psalm 140 For the choir director, a psalm of David. Rescue me, O Yahweh, from evil men. Guard me from violent men. 
who think up evil things in their hearts, they continually stir up wars. They sharpen their tongues as a serpent. Poison of an asp is under their lips. Selah. Keep me, O Yahweh, from the hands of the wicked. Guard me from violent men, who give thought to trip up my steps. The proud have hidden a trap for me and cords. They have spread a net by the wayside. They have set snares for me. Selah. I said to Yahweh, You are my God. Give ear, O Yahweh, to the voice of my supplications. O Yahweh, O Lord, the strength of my salvation, you have covered my head in the day of battle. Do not grant, O Yahweh, the desires of the wicked. Do not promote his evil scheme, that they not be exalted, Selah. As for the head of those who surround me, may the trouble from their lips cover them. May burning coals be shaken out upon them. May he cause them to fall into the fire, into bottomless pits from which they can never rise. May a slanderer not be established in the earth. May evil hunt the violent man speedily. I know that Yahweh will maintain the cause for the afflicted, and judgment for the needy. Surely the righteous will give thanks to your name. The upright will abide in your presence. And finally, Proverbs 30, verse 17. The eye that mocks a father and despises obedience to a mother, the ravens of the valley will pick it out, and the young eagles will eat it. All right. So, as we've been talking about over this last week, um, like I told you, I, I kind of was, hang on a minute, I need some water here. Sorry about that. I've got kind of a weird frog in my throat going on. All right. So I was talking about, and I, I kind of, the topic kind of hit me because I told you I didn't, I wasn't going to, I had other stuff I was working on, so I didn't really have the time to do the Bible study of John. And, uh, though my intention is to pick it back up on Monday. Um, nice thing being, I'm actually off. I'm actually finally taking some vacation. I don't ever really take vacation, so I'm going to do that. But I, at the same time, I wanted to do something a little different. I wanted to get away from John for a minute because of the season we're in. And now again, I'm, I'm not necessarily a believer in, uh, and, and most of, most of the, the living and dead guys I follow are not really proponents of, I don't know how to, of topical sermons to fit the season kind of thing. Um, that's not really their thing and it, and it's not really mine. Um, I feel like we get more worth and this is just a personal opinion. Okay. I'm not saying it's wrong to do it another way. Um, this is a personal opinion, but I feel like those I'm preaching to get more. If I stay in the verses I'm working through and keep working through them, that's part of why I, I agreed with pastor Jay when he asked me if, when I was preaching for him on the last Sunday of every other month, um, barring stuff like Thanksgiving, where I did do kind of a topical message, though from very, very different verses, but it was really kind of cool, um, that I, I preach also in Matthew with him. Therefore, we continue to progress in Matthew, not because we're trying to rush through Matthew, but so that there is a consistency for our congregation, for, for we the sheep, to partake of and assemble an overall message. I don't know if you've ever done it before, but when I was preparing for the first time going into the Gospel of John to preach on John, this was years ago, I spent a good month, month and a half reading completely through the Gospel of John every day, every other day, something like that. 
and you get a different view of the Gospel of John when you read it in its entirety. You pick up big picture things that you don't pick up when you're reading, um, you know, paragraph by paragraph, chapter by chapter kind of thing. Um, when you're just reading a chapter here or a chapter there, you pick up a bigger picture. Um, so, uh, you know, so again, so I, I feel like that's kind of important. But at the same time, coming up on the Christmas season, um, and, and coming up on the celebration of the birth of Christ, I feel like there's way too much that gets missed. Um, because one, we get caught up and, and even we Christians can get caught up in all the, uh, all the commercialism and stuff like that. Even the commercialism of the birth of Christ. I mean, you know, cause, um, you can definitely go and buy, um, hang on a minute. Need a little more water there. Um. You can go buy um, creches. You can go buy, you know, manger scenes and stuff like that. Now, I have to admit, one of my wife's favorite possessions is a manger scene made of olive wood that I bought in Bethlehem for her when I was there in the Navy. Um, so, you know, don't get me wrong. Even, even I succumbed to it. Um, but it was a nice gift to bring home to her. And it, honestly, at that point, we weren't saved either. So it's interesting now that we have it this many years later, but you know, um, but we can get caught up in that and we can miss some of the key things of the birth of Christ. Like one of the things we miss, and I, of course, I'm not speaking on it now or speaking on it this week, but one of the things we can miss is we need, or let's see, let me, let me back up a little bit. So we, we have a tendency to focus on the birth without a consideration of the crucifixion and resurrection. And the thing is, they all go together. I mean, they're different parts in his life, but they all go together without any one of them. His ministry is useless. I mean, he, he's, he's not our savior. If any of these things don't occur and occur exactly as they did. So, you know, and so people forget that. I mean, it's just like you can't get into the Easter season without remembering the birth of Christ. I mean, you, you've got to do both. Um, that's the thing. Um, the story of the Christ child doesn't end till the crucifixion and the resurrection. They don't. So, you know, pe- but people will forget about that. They think about the baby in the manger and oh, how sweet that is. And oh, it's so cute. And they go on and of course they, they think of it and they, and, and of course they see this idyllic little barn that's perfectly clean and all the animals sell, smell sweet. And of course they have the wise men show up there, which looking historically at the gospels, yeah, the wise men didn't come till Jesus was a toddler or older. So it wasn't there in the manger, you know, I, I mean, any number of those things. Things that, that we miss. I mean, we, we just, we don't really pick up on, which is what brought me to why I wanted to talk about the humbleness of the Christ child. Because truly, like I've told you before, Jesus is very, very clear throughout his ministry about being humble and how for we Christians, we must be humble. I mean, we, we truly cannot come to a point where we can understand and grasp the fact that we need Christ as our savior if we can't put down our own self-righteousness, if we cannot put down our own pride and be humble without that humbleness, we don't get saved. We don't. I'm not saying we have to make ourselves humble, but I, but I'm saying without that humbleness, 
we cannot we, we we cannot function on the idea that Christ is our Lord and Savior because He has to be our Lord to be our Savior, and we're not able to we're not able to accept that we're not able to function that way. And that humbleness, the reason it struck me, you know, we're coming in the Christmas season is thinking about the humbleness of the whole birth of the Christ child, of, of the whole scenario. And so, you know, we talked Monday night about the humbleness of the stable itself. And again, you know, like I said, it wasn't this idyllic barn with all these sweet smelling animals and, and, and everybody perfectly clean. It was, a, it was a dirty stable in all probability. It was actually a cave at the back of the property. Um, that was dirty, probably musty and wet. Um, it was loaded up with animals and these weren't sweet little peaceful. These were beasts of burden. I mean, the, the thing is your cattle, your sheep and stuff were kept out in the sheep folds and in the cattle pens and stuff like that. They weren't kept in the barn. Um, not for the most case, it, it, maybe they had a milk cow or a milk goat or something that they'd keep in, but most of them were not kept there. It was the beasts of burden. So dirty, smelly. And then Jesus was placed in a food trough a food trough. This thing was not sterilized. <laughs> it was a food trough. And with the things they fed their animals. Yeah, this was not a sweet, clean smelling place. Um, and honestly, this was not something that the typical clean Jew, Jew trying to say, stay ritually clean would do. So, you know, we looked at the humbleness of that, that humbleness of a state as to where he was actually born. And, and then we looked at the humbleness of the village itself, Bethlehem. Again, little unwalled village, which indicated really no importance. Um, like I said, a little more than 100 persons there considered there during the Herodian period, which is around this same time. So a little more than 100 people total in this village. Where we've talked about Jerusalem, like I told you, um, there was indications around the time of Christ's crucifixion resurrection within a decade either side of that that the Passover ceremony there in Jerusalem would have upwards of a million people jammed into Jerusalem. This little town, little more than a hundred people that, that hits you with the humbleness of that. And then last night we talked about the humbleness of Jesus's parents. They're living up in the sticks in Nazareth, which was considered the armpit of Galilee and Galilee was considered the sticks, but they're from Bethlehem, which like I said, little tiny village. And like we talked about, if there's, if they've gone to Bethlehem and because, you know, we always have in our translations, they talk about there was no room in the inn. Well, there, like I said, there were not motel sixes and, and super eights and stuff like that. In that time, you went and stayed with family or, or somebody that was close to your family. Sorry, I need a little water here. Yeah. Or somebody that was close to your family. But if there are so many people there because they're coming for the census and you're a part of the family and you've got a pregnant wife, but you're still so low down in the family hierarchy that you're put out in the cave or the, the stable or what it, whether it was a building or a cave or whatever, you're stuck out there. You've got to be some of the lowest parts of that. And again, we see Mary, um, and I, I, I brought it up yesterday. I'm actually going to scroll over there move over to Luke one. Um, I actually brought it up yesterday that Mary, you know, re realizes really quickly, uh, verse 48, this is the Magnificat, what we call the Magnificat. Again, the first word in the Latin is Magnificat for it. My soul magnifies the Lord. That's why it's called the Magnificat. 
But verse 40, so that's in verse 46, verse 48. And she's praising God. She said, for he has looked upon the humble state of his slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. Again, she's got a true, true understanding of her humble estate. She knows. She knows better than we do, for sure, how humble she truly is and how undeserving she is of the blessing she's being given. And her husband's the same way. I mean, believe me, this is not um, <laughs> uh, um, an officer and a gentleman thing where the, where the woman out of the factory marries the great Navy aviator kind of thing that Joseph was some, you know, hero of the people. It wasn't. He was as low of state as she is. So again, their humbleness. So what I was thinking about for tonight is talking about the humbleness of the announcement of his birth. And I'm sure some of you are going to go, well, wait, wait, wait. The angels announced his birth. Um, yeah, but stop and think about it. An angel came to Mary and told Mary. And that's it. An angel came to Mary. Uh, this is in Luke 1. <clears throat> to a, let's see. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was at this verse, starting in verse 26. Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and was pondering what kind of greeting this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and there will be no end of his kingdom. Then, of course, Mary goes on to question him. <clears throat> because she's like, wait, I'm a virgin. How can this happen? Excuse me. Didn't mean to do that where you can hear that. Um, but again, Gabriel comes to Mary, not to a bunch of people to Mary. Then, um, we have indication in Matthew there at the end of Matthew one, um, uh, verse 19 and Joseph, her husband being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the one who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And he goes on to say that. So again, one angel came to Mary, one angel came to Joseph, not to a bunch of people. Okay, so I'm kind of making a point here, so pay attention. Um, we go on into Luke 2. And let's see. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. Sorry, verse 8 and then Luke 2. And an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. 
And it happened that when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, one another, let us go to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went in and saw it and they marveled. I, I, I'm not, I'm just paraphrasing at this point. Um, and they told the parents what they had been told by the angel. And then they left and they were glorifying, praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as was told them. But again, even though the heavenly host came to them, these are shepherds. You got to realize, like I said, Mary and Joseph, very low status. Shepherds, very bottom, very bottom of the food chain, just like fishermen were, just like tax collectors were. The shepherds, very bottom of the food chain. They are not considered, you know, the upper echelon here. These are who his, he has been, um, his birth has been announced to. This is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is the Lord of the world. This is he who God has given judgment for. Now, of course, he doesn't come this first time to judge. That's what he will do at the final, at his final return. He will judge. But again, this is, you know, um, two people of low birth, even though from the house of David and a group of shepherds, that's who it's announced to. This is not announced across the sky so that all will know. Now, of course, you're going to say, well, what about the star that the wise men followed? Well, yeah. But again, in God's providence, basically three wise men figured out and they and their retinue went and found Jesus. I mean, that's it. You, you realize that. I mean, you got to realize, I mean, you think about it and let me have some water here. case in point and I may I may get some haters here I don't care for Taylor Swift nothing personal I've never cared for her music I don't really care what she's doing in her life it's none of my business um, and I don't need to know about it (laughs) but my wife it's got, and my wife doesn't really, my wife likes some of her music and stuff, maybe her earlier stuff, not really the later stuff here, but my wife, even my wife is getting so frustrated with all the notifications she is getting across social media about what Taylor is doing, what Taylor and Zach are doing. I think it's Zach, whatever her football player guy, um, are doing for Christmas and new years and stuff like this, as if the whole world needs to know this. The fact is, and this is no offense to Taylor or anybody that cares about her, but the fact is big P, big picture in the history of the world, particularly on, on our eternal souls and our eternal life, the actions of Taylor Swift will have absolutely zero bearing on that. But the birth of the Christ child has eternal significance. He had a couple of angels an angel go to his father and mother and a group of angels, the heavenly host go to a bunch of shepherds all from the lowest part of this, the society, lowest caste of the society to announce that yet billions of people have to hear daily or every other day, what Taylor Swift is doing. 
So do you see what I'm saying about the humbleness of the announcement of his birth? I mean, again, yes, I would agree. Um, the, the prophecies foretold that he would be coming and where he would be coming and all of that. But as we, as we've seen in our study of the gospel of John, it didn't matter what the prophecy said. The fact is the religious elite had formed an opinion about what this Messiah was going to look like. And they had inculcated now that's maybe not the right word, but they had pressed that opinion. They had pressed that, that idea onto the average everyday person. So, you know, they, 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 so nobody was looking for where the Christ child would be coming or how he would be coming or to who he would be coming. They didn't get it because it was that humble. But in that, like I said last night, I'm pretty sure I said this last night, like I said then, but the humbleness of this, that glorifies God more than anything else. <clears throat> Again, and, and that's why this kind of hits me. Again, I've told you that, that pride scares me. Pride scares me. It's something I fight against constantly. I'm not talking. I'm walk. I always walk around with a big head thinking I'm this great thing. Fact is I love, I've got a brother of mine in Christ, um, who set his e email address as fetid Ponscom. And he did that to remind himself of where he came from and where he would be outside of the grace of God. And it's a reminder to him so that pride does not go to his head. And so I always think about that. Honestly, him setting his email like email address like that and letting me know that that has helped me in my walk. So I I'm very blessed by this brother, um, on a daily basis, to be honest. <clears throat> and so because of that, I, I, I just find humbleness such an important thing because again, like I said, without humbleness, we don't get saved. I, again, I'm not saying that God can't do whatever he wants to do and whatever he plans to do. But what I am saying is you and I don't reach the right place to be regenerated by the Holy spirit and to accept Jesus Christ. And again, I'm not saying this in a, in a, in a Arminian viewpoint, but <clears throat> to be able to be truly shaped and manifest an understanding that Jesus Christ is our Lord and savior. And that it is his righteousness and his righteousness only that allows us to stand holy and blameless before a just God. So that's why I see this humbleness as so important. And because of this humbleness, I mean, yes, God could have done it any way he wanted to, but this is a pattern. We got to remember that uh, Gideon, I always think of the story of Gideon and Gideon had assembled. Gideon didn't want to do any of this. Gideon. <laughs> Just not happy about being called. Not that he didn't want to serve God, but he was absolutely certain he was not out, uh, you know, cut out to do this. But he had gathered bunches and God made him go through the steps to whittle down the number of men he had till he only had 300 going up against a much greater force. Yet that 300 with the power of God stomped that force. And God was clear about it. We are doing it this way so that none of you can sit there and claim that you with your own power accomplished this, that only through God, this was accomplished so that God would be glorified. Well, again, think about, like I've said, think about the, the disciples. Um, 
of these 11, four were fishermen. One was a tax collector hated by his people. Uh, one was a zealot who, who maybe was trying to fight Rome, but at the same time was kind of hated by his people because invariably Jews would end up getting killed by these zealots. So, you know, they'd end up murdering their own, their own flesh and blood, their own, their own countrymen. Um, so not necessarily greatly thought of. And the, and the others among them are, are of the same low estate. And like I said before, they scattered like chickens with their heads cut off when he was arrested and then crucified, as we all would have. Yet they carried the gospel to the extents of the known world. And they made it between that and between their writings of the New Testament to where Christianity has covered the globe. Through humbleness, through humbleness, through the humbleness of those 11 that we add Saul of Tarsus, Paul and Matthias that they added to, to flesh out their 12, but through them and them alone. I mean, again, there were a few like Stephen and some of them that stepped in, but again, through very, very humble means, they carried that out. Uh, Paul even talks about it when he's talking about preaching the gospel, that he's not coming with great oration. He's not coming with great skill at words, that it's the simplicity of the gospel, the humbleness of the gospel that brings it about. That's why I think this is so important. So that's why I think it is so interesting to look at and see the humbleness of the stable, the humbleness of Bethlehem, the humbleness of Jesus' parents and the humbleness of the announcement of his birth. And so what I want to cover tomorrow evening God willing, is the humbleness of the response to his birth. All right. Oh, sorry. I paged there. I didn't mean to. All right. So our evening devotion, the text for it tonight is from Ezekiel 16.10, or today, I should say. Ezekiel 16.10. I clothed thee also with broidered work, and shod thee with badger skin, and I girded thee about with fine linen, and I covered thee with silk. See with what matchless generosity the Lord provides for his people's apparel. They are so arrayed that the divine skill is even producing an unrivaled broidered work in which every attribute takes its part and every divine beauty is revealed. No art like the art displayed in our salvation, no cunning workmanship like that beheld in the righteousness of the saints. Justification has engrossed learned pens in all ages of the church and will be the theme of admiration in eternity. God has indeed curiously wrought it. With all this elaboration, there is mingled utility and durability, comparable to our being shod with badger's skin. The animal here meant is unknown, but its skin covered the tabernacle and formed one of the finest and strongest leathers known. The righteousness which is of God by faith endureth forever, and he who is shod with this divine preparation will tread the desert safely, and may even set his foot upon the lion and the adder. Purity and dignity of our holy vesture are are brought out sorry, are brought out in the fine linen. When the Lord sanctifies his people, they are clad as priests in pure white, not the snow itself excels them. They are in the eyes of men and angels fair to look upon, and even in the Lord's eyes they are without spot. Meanwhile the royal apparel is delicate and rich as silk. 
no expenses spared, no beauty withheld, no daintiness denied. What then? Is there no inference from this? Surely there is gratitude to be felt and joy to be expressed. Come, my heart, refuse not thy evening hallelujah. Tune thy pipes, touch thy chords. Strangely my soul art thou arrayed by the great sacred three. In sweetest harmony of praise, let all thy powers agree. All right. Well, that is our episode for today. I thank you for spending this time with me. I, I pray that this time together helps you and I both to uh, grow in our understanding of the scripture, to, to remain saturated in the word of God, and so that our work, so, excuse me, so that our walk matures and so that we walk more and more like Christ. All right. Well, let's go ahead and close out with prayer. We're going to close out with the fifth day evening prayer. It's called protection. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God. Thou art a preserver, governor, savior, and coming judge. Quiet in our souls to call upon thy name. Detach us from the influence of the flesh and the senses. Impress us with the power of faith. Promote in us spirituality of mind that will render our services acceptable to thee and delightful and profitable to ourselves. Bring us into that state which attracts thine eye and prepare us to receive the proofs of thy love. Show us our danger that we may fly to thee for refuge. Make us sensible of our sin's disease, that we may value the good physician. Blackguard to us the cross, that it may slay the enmity of our hearts. Help us to be watchful over our ways, jealous over our tempers, diligent over our hearts. When we droop, revive us. When we loiter, quicken us. When we go astray, restore us. Possess us with more of that faith, which is the principle of all vital godliness. May we be rich in faith, be strong in faith, live by faith walk by faith, experience the joy of faith, do the work of faith, hope through faith, perceiving nothing in ourselves, may we find in the Savior wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. Amen. <clears throat> All right. Well, I hope you have yourself a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God, and I hope to see you tomorrow. Have a good one. God bless. Mm -hmm.